surprised by how quickly things are recovering. I thought that we were in the depths of COVID last summer. I thought this would be a, a lingering thing for for years. And with the vaccine coming out and everyone getting it so quickly, which has gone much faster than I had anticipated, it seems like a lot of the restrictions, well, certainly a lot of the restrictions are dropping away and the market is coming back fast. And I think that speaks to the fundamental point of all of this, which is how California's housing crisis is still there. People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. Today's conversation is with Lauren Seaver. She's the president of Opportunity Housing Group, an entity that was founded out of the Blake Griggs Properties Enterprise and based in Danville, California. Lauren recently helped launch Opportunity Housing Group as a way to address much-needed middle-income housing across California, a niche segment of the vast multifamily real estate industry sector, but one that impacts nearly a third of residents in major metropolitan areas. In her new role, she is responsible for all stages of the acquisition, due diligence, financing, and asset management process. She brings to the organization over eight years of experience in institutional, multifamily, and commercial development and acquisitions. During her career, Lauren has led the development, entitlement, and acquisition of over $800 million in multifamily and commercial real estate. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Lauren, good morning. How are you? Great. Good morning, Vlad. How are you? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Where do we find you today? I'm at home in Lafayette from my home office in my living room. Yeah. <laughs> it's been uh, our sad reality for the last 18 months or so, right? Yes. Yeah, sad and uh, it has some benefits as well. I, I agree. Kids, so I agree. That's been, that's been kind of a side benefit. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Lauren, by way of introduction, tell us a little bit about you, your background, sort of, you know, how you got to where you are today and a little bit about Opportunity Housing Group and what uh, the mandate of the company is. Sure. Definitely. So I've been working in the multifamily development space now for about 10 years with a company called Blake Griggs Properties. Um, We're a fairly large multifamily and retail developer based out of Danville in the East Bay. And so I've sort of grown up through the development side of the business. And over the last year, through COVID, we started working on a new initiative to focus on middle-income housing. So over that process, I have spun out a new company called Opportunity Housing Group with my same partners from Blake Griggs Properties. And Opportunity Housing Group is focused on 
converting and in the future developing middle income housing throughout California. Yeah. And, and help us understand what middle in- income housing is and sort of how, how do people define that in the industry? So middle income housing is housing that is affordable for people who make too much to qualify for traditional affordable housing, but not enough to afford market rate housing in the communities where they work. So if you do the math, actually, in the Bay Area, there are about 1.1 million middle income workers. That's about 34% of the workforce. And in Southern California, even more, 2.6 million workers in Southern California, about 30% of the workforce. So it's really a large segment of the California population that isn't being served by either the traditional affordable housing space or development, which is traditionally focused on market rate. Interesting, interesting. And and this has been something that traditionally developers have not focused on. There isn't enough of this housing. I mean, that's sort of safe to assume, right? Yeah, it's um, not really by choice. The fundamentals of development make it such that you can really only afford to build projects at the highest end of the rent spectrum. And that's only gotten worse over time. So that's a constraint that we've we've been seeing, which is becomes harder and harder to entitle, takes longer and longer, costs more, and construction costs have gone up a lot. So with those sure. two features together, you really can only afford to build if you can charge the highest rents. And then on the on the affordable side of the spectrum, um, there are a lot of good initiatives and products, tax credits, et cetera, to to try to support creation of that. But it's expensive and it's slow going because an affordable unit costs as much to develop as a market rate unit. So it's $600,000, $700,000, depending on what market you're in, that has to be subsidized. Yeah, that's one of those things that I think, you know, folks who are not in the industry often ask the question, you know, why don't we just build more housing? We need more housing. But I think that cost per unit number, when you think about it in those terms, is, you know, really significant, right? And it sort of makes basically penciling out some of these projects really, really hard. For your organization in general, was was this an area of focus that, that you guys have done before, but then decided to put more effort around it? Or was it something you didn't focus at all in, but, you know, saw an opportunity, kind of a an area where you weren't playing yet? So we were mainly focused on the market rate development side. As I mentioned, that's the area in which development makes sense. But we've been seeing that window closing and closing where development becomes harder and harder and only in the highest end markets. And so with that, that's really what got us starting to think about, well, how do you address this huge swath of the population that's not getting served? And so we were able to work through this rather unique structure that is focused on on the middle income. Right, Right now, we're doing it from an acquisitions perspective. So we're buying market rate buildings and converting them to middle income by lowering the rents. Um, and we, we finance that through public market bond issuance. So that's that's um, the new business that we've created in yeah. order to address that. Yeah. And what are some of your goals in terms of, you know, the next, I don't know, three to five years? Do you have a certain number of units in mind or is it, you know, opportunistic, you know, based on sort of when availabilities arrive, right? Yeah. So the, the market's actually doing quite well for this. We started our program and worked through setting it up over the back half of 2020. Um, so we really came into the market in force beginning of 2021. We've closed our first workforce housing transaction in April. Um, and we've got a pipeline now about 2,000 additional units that are set to close in 2021. And that pipeline is growing all the time. So I wouldn't be surprised if we can get to a portfolio of maybe 10,000 
units across California. And we're, we're looking at Northern and Southern California. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. That's, that's going to be quite a, quite a steep growth then. In terms of, you know, housing news, I mean, over the last 18 months or so, certainly since, you know, COVID started, some of the big stories out there have been around, you know, evictions and things like that. And I don't necessarily want to get into that discussion, but more on the topic of kind of what, what are some of the sort of underlying currents that, that are also evolving both multifamily development, investing, and you know, building that you think the audience should really know about. I've been surprised to see actually how little focus is, aside from the eviction moratoriums, but how little focus is actually on the creation of housing catered to the middle income. Middle income are all the categories of essential workers that we've talked about all throughout COVID, nurse, nurses, teachers, medical workers, construction, all of these folks that continued working through COVID and continued getting us through this rough period. And uh, there's been little political attention on how to actually help them with housing. There's a lot of attention on, obviously, the housing crisis sure. uh, prior to COVID and a lot around the last gubernatorial election. There are all these reports about how we needed to create 3.5 million units of housing or 2.5 million units, which is a huge number relative to the stock of 14.4 million units that we have in California. So there was all this focus, but then that seems to have fallen away over the past year. There is a lot of focus on homelessness. And a lot of the cities that we talk to, that's that's their priority is really focused on the very lowest end of the spectrum, which is great. But I think the thing that surprises me is that there hasn't been more focus on this middle income swath, which is a lot larger and a lot less expensive from a subsidy standpoint to create. So that the program that we have put in place requires a pretty minimal subsidy from the city. Um, Essentially, they uh, invest the property tax revenue from the property that comes off the tax roll. But that is well outweighed by the rent savings for the residents. And also, the city ends up with the full value of the asset after 30 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So they really, they end up with a return. If if you view the property tax investment, uh, if you will, the city is really coming out with a return of 40x on their on that investment yeah, over wow. the term, plus creating big rent savings for their their workers and their community. So, so it's a really uh, powerful program, and I, I think it has a lot of pathway to grow further. Other than you guys, are there companies in the ecosystem that that focus on this? Are there certain lenders? Are there certain you know equity partners that you can you know find who you know specifically focus in in this area? Because it sounds like with um, you know a little bit of effort, there could be a few quick hits uh, in this in this industry. It's a niche market now, and I think it will remain a niche market. The reason being that you work with a governmental partner in it. And there, there are only a couple of governmental partners in the space. So we work with an entity called California Statewide Communities Development Authority. They're the largest um, conduit issuer of bonds in California. Yeah. So they, they actually work with us to issue the bonds. So, so that's sort of the limiting factor in, in growth in, in the market. And then I think we're particularly well-placed in this market because of our expertise on the development side. So a lot of the skills that we've perfected over the years and the relationships that we have from development are in working with cities and and government agencies to get things approved and done. And so that's been a really positive platform from which to start this new initiative. 
Yeah, makes sense. And when you look at that middle-income housing, I mean, obviously, you know, you guys are focused on you know the West Coast and California specifically. But is is this is this something that permeates throughout the rest of the country also as a major opportunity or an, or an issue rather? So it really varies by market. The important feature being housing affordability. So some some markets or some states don't really have issues with housing afford or affordability or housing supply, as there's been migration into certain other locations like, um, you know, the hot buttons, Denver, Seattle, Austin, et cetera. Housing costs have gone up a lot. So that's creating more of this issue and more of a focus on, on how do we house our middle income population. So it's really, it's really a local analysis as you look at different markets. Interesting. Yeah. So it'll be driven primarily kind of where the economy seems to kind of really grow quickly, right? I'm sort of curious also how this is going to play itself out as we've seen, you know, people move to other markets during during the COVID pandemic, right? I mean, now there's stories about, you know, Idaho <laughs> having a housing shortage and, you know, places like that, they, you know, in the past probably didn't. Right. So it is it is interesting how that's evolving. In terms of opportunities for your enterprise, you know, is this something that eventually then after you, you know, tackle sort of Northern California, Southern California, do you look at potentially going into some uh, some of these other markets? Is there a certain expertise that you might be able to then build and then leverage in, you know, other geographies? Certainly. We've done business all throughout the Western states. One of our managing partners was the chief investment officer of BRE Properties, which was a, a REIT that invested all across the Western States yep, yep. was acquired by Essex. So we, we have that expertise and we'll certainly consider it on an opportunistic basis. We'll have to look at each market sure. individually. <laughs> sure. As you look at you know the last 18 months and COVID in general, and you touched upon this a little bit in the in the intro, sort of how you know your side of the business came about. Did this did this circumstance kind of accelerate the thinking around this? Where I'm going with this is that what, what was the impact that kind of COVID had on you guys thinking that this really needed to be done sort of ASAP? So I think the fundamental situation of development becoming more focused on the higher end and the difficulty of serving the middle income is not due to COVID. It was accelerated by COVID because development paused in general, but I, all those fundamental things are in place well before. I think from a personal standpoint, pause on the development side of the business gave me the, the time and focus to really think about how we could launch this in a big way. And so that's what I spent the last um, part of 2020 doing was researching and figuring out how this would work and then putting the infrastructure in place to get get us started. From that perspective, in uh, a mental space capacity, I think it was it was good and that it allowed us to think about things. Now we're seeing Uh, in the market that the impact of COVID is rapidly going away. So most of the markets that we're looking at, even markets that were heavily impacted by COVID, concessions are going away, leasing's really picking up quickly. So I I think that is uh, fading rapidly. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So I wonder if that then gives you an opportunity to evolve your thinking around this idea as well. Um, I think it makes it even more important. And I think it helps our business in some ways. Yeah. One of the benefits that we provide with our projects is not just immediate rent reductions for tenants, but rent growth cap. So we impose on the projects rent control of no more than 4% rent increases per year. 
markets now, especially because you're you're talking about from the bottom point of the COVID trough, because the leases that are in place now are from the low point of COVID. So imposing that rent growth cap is going to quickly increase the affordability of these projects relative to market, yeah. which which means a greater value proposition for the city. It means a greater value proposition for tenants. I think it's it's good all around. Yeah. Are there any characteristics about this type of product that are, you know, maybe unique to this type of product? I mean, obviously not being a market rate product, it, does that mean that some of the quality of certain things is, you know, reduced? And 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 not to put you in a spot here, but I'm just I'm just, you know, generally curious about, you know, how does this differ from, you know, like affordable housing to, you know, mid housing to market rate housing, how would a developer or an investor look at that? Yeah, so it's um, it's actually we're just taking existing market rate assets. And we're not changing the operation except for the fact that we income qualify new residents. They have to meet their income has to be lower than the cap in order to qualify for the project. Yeah. And then they receive rent reductions accordingly. So they're paying rents that are reasonable relative to their income. But as far as a physical standpoint, nothing changes with the asset from an operations standpoint. Our asset that we've closed on so far uh, is a brand new asset in Monrovia, Southern California, Yep. built in 2019. It's beautiful. It's class A podium operated by a first class operator, uh, which remains in place. So really, really no change in the operation. Um, and we're able to make this work with with high-end projects like that. Yeah. And are you also seeing quality of the tenants? Are you seeing kind of higher, you know, higher occupancy, you know, higher, you know, receipts in terms of rent collection? Does does any of that play play into that as well? Um, we're not we're not underwriting higher occupancy, but I, I would expect that over time the occupancy um, should outperform even what we're what we're performing. The reason being that market rent growth will outpace rent growth in our projects, thus increasing the level of affordability over time. And so like a like an affordable housing project, you don't see any vacancy really because people are on wait lists trying to get in or people don't leave because their rent's so far below market. I think we'll we'll start to see the benefit of that appear over time. Now the program phases in, so no tenants are displaced. So you take a, an asset that is operating with market rate tenants and then the affordability comes up at their renewal. So at their renewal, they do their income qualification. If they qualify, they receive a rent reduction. And if not, they are allowed to remain at their existing rent. So even even tenants who don't qualify aren't displaced by the program. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Generally, throughout the industry, and you mentioned this just a you know, second ago, so it sounds like, you know, Things are kind of going back to normal. And, and I wanted to just explore that a little bit, just from your perspective. It does seem like the multifamily sector in general, on some level, was impacted by the moratorium on evictions. But it, it doesn't seem like across the board that was sort of a you know really big, big, big issue in the in the industry. I wanted to see sort of generally what you are seeing out there in the market. Are you seeing more people looking for places? Are you seeing occupancy sort of go up where it was maybe going down? You know, how are rents holding across the board? Uh, some kind of general industry, you know, things that you would normally consider. Yes, yeah, so there's really a hyper-local impact. Like I'll, I'll use uh, LA County as yeah. an example. So downtown LA was hit 
particularly hard. Had really high, high, high vacancy, a lot of delinquency in the market. But then our project in Monrovia, 30 minutes away, then actually benefited from COVID. And that's because people were moving from downtown LA out to more suburban markets. Or if you look at uh, at the Inland Empire, like Riverside, for example, rents have actually been growing about 8% a year during COVID. And occupancy okay. is 98%. So it, it really, if you think through like, the patterns of people working from home, people wanting more space, et cetera, uh, certain markets have benefited from that and certain markets have been hit harder. Um, but I think across the board, we're seeing even markets that were hit harder, like uh, the South Bay, for example, uh, leasing is coming back, vacancy is coming back, and the concessions are are burning off. And on the on the delinquency side, it seems to be that in most projects with significant delinquency, it's isolated by this point to a few tenants who have, who have a big balance that built up during the past year, right, right. etc. And operators are willing are able to work that out. So I think that that will work its way through and um, kind of dissipate over time. Yeah, yeah, no, make makes sense. Given some of these things as they are normalizing, does that provide you guys an opportunity to expand your business to some other areas as well? So normalizing is good and bad. We had less competition <laughs> right. for acquisitions when the um, traditional apartment buyers were not as active in the marketplace. We're seeing traditional apartment buyers are back and forth. Cap rates are low and going lower. So that makes it more difficult. But then on the other hand, we're, we're also buying operating assets. So it's good if they're performing well. And there are, are our operating models not so different from, from a um, market rate operating yeah. model. So, so it, it has pros and cons. As somebody who's starting a new business, you will know very well that you know times of challenge are, are also times of opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about you know how the challenging times that have lasted sort of eighteen months have worked into you know you guys seeing more opportunity for for the business overall. Well, I think uh, I think as I as I mentioned before, it really caused us to think hard about building a diversified platform. So we have have and still have our development business, which continues to do projects and, and look for new multifamily and uh, retail projects to do. But building, we've now built out an acquisitions arm as well and hired people uh, who are focused on that, that side of the business. I think it gives us some good flexibility to have multiple business models and really builds on the expertise that we had and the infrastructure in order to have two businesses that we we can kind of alternate our focus back and forth between and, and grow both at the same time. Yeah. And during this time, what has surprised you the most? I'm actually surprised by how quickly things are recovering. I thought that we were in the depths of COVID last summer. I thought this would be a, a lingering thing for, for years. And with the vaccine coming out and everyone getting it so quickly, which has gone much faster than I had anticipated, it seems like a lot of the restrictions, well, certainly a lot of the restrictions are dropping away. and the market is coming back fast. And I think that speaks to the fundamental point of all of this, which is how California's housing crisis is still there in a big way. So I think that that has so much legs on it. That problem is so deep that it's not going anywhere yeah. that uh, California multifamily will continue to perform even through such a significant shock. 
So as my kind of final question, sort of given everything that you've seen, Lauren, over the last you know, 18 months, and as you've you know, em- embarked on this new you know, venture, what gives you hope? I think the opportunity for housing in California is just tremendous, and we're only scratching the surface of it. We have so much need for this product and, and really all types of housing products that I feel like there are, is a long way to go and, and a lot of work for us to do, which is a great thing in starting a new business. Lauren, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. Stay well and best of luck with the new enterprise. Thank you so much, Vlad. Great talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.